you? We normally don't ask each other how we are. I don't care. Kelly! (laughs) Today we're going to be talking about Castle Rock. Yay! What? For the first part of our episode. And for the second part, we have another author interview with Gabrielle Moss, the author of Paperback Crush. Which, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say, I had a little sneak peek. It's pretty great. But to start us off, our icebreaker question for the week is, if you could make a TV show set in any author's universe, what would it be? So, for example, Castle Rock is sort of like set in the Stephen King universe. So, (laughs) Hi, this is Emily, and I already answered this because immediately I said, J.K. Rowling, I want Harry Potter television shows based on all the Harry Potter things, just Hogwarts on my TV. I would agree with that. I think it, it could work beautifully as a seven-season mm-hmm. television show. But you have to pick a new one. And then you can do a Marauders show, and you could also do, like, a like the Founders show. You could do, like, you could do so many Dumbledore. shows. Yeah, you could do... Dumbledore and Grindelwald not as Johnny Depp show. And their love affair. Yeah, and make it super hot and romantic. I agree with you, but also. (laughs) No, I mean, I'm just, sex is a part of the world, and it's a little unfortunate that this upcoming movie is sort of denying the fact that Dumbledore is supposedly gay and has feelings for Grindelwald. Probably. So. Um, Kelly and I are going to write a blog post about this. Just get ready. <laughs> We've already talked about it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm Kelly. And I am going to say, even though, like, historically, I'm not the hugest fan of Murakami, but I feel like having a TV show set in a Murakami universe mm-hmm. with lots of cats and weird talking cats yeah talking cats and weird dreamlike imagery um yes. and manic pixie dream girls all over the place yes, i think that could work hopefully they would come up with some new interesting mm-hmm. female characters but um a lot of suicidal people yeah i think it would be a, a cool show and i think that he's an author who has a lot oh, of like the know. same themes running through a lot of his books so yeah. i mm-hmm. feel like any author like that would be good for this question <laughs> well, honestly, if you had asked me this question any other day, I would have said Stephen King because this was like what I've yeah. always wanted to happen. Um, nice. But <laughs> on that note, I because I had to pick another one, Edgar Allan Poe. Another spooky boy. Spooky boys. Yes. I like a spooky show. I like a spooky boy. Spooky boy. Mm-hmm. That was what I put on my Bumble, you know, like looking for thing. And, spooky boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, I think having in the Poe universe, but like updated to today kind of would be really cool. Ooh. Yeah. That would be. Write it. I. Hi, Mary. My answer may surprise you. Oh, God. No, it won't. It's, it's Jeff Vandermeer. It's Jeff Vandermeer. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> but no, I think it would be really fun. Like, uh, I really loved the movie Annihilation, but I think given more time to explain that plot, I I liked it's it a different. lot. I've never heard you. It's different. <laughs> it's very different. Oh, you're being sarcastic. Like, of course, <laughs> of course, Mary liked it. <laughs> but I think I think it could be cool as a TV show. 
<laughs> Can it have Oscar Isaac in it? Yeah. Okay, cool. If Oscar Isaac's going to be in a yeah. movie by the This Is Us people, he can be in an Annihilation TV oh, show. Oh, are we just, are we casting? Honestly, he could too? be in all of these TV shows. Yeah, Bradley Cooper. Oh, First no, of all, gross. Season, Second no. of all, you could I'm have kidding, both. I'm kidding. <laughs> I just want Kelly to not watch it. Wow. Today, we're talking about Castle Rock. I have a little introduction that I wrote for the show. Tell me about it. Tell us about it. Uh, Castle Rock is an anthology horror series loosely inspired by the work of Stephen King and featuring frequent Easter eggs throughout the show that reference King's canonical works. And uh, Susan found an article from Vulture that tells you all the Easter eggs throughout the show, and we can link to that. It's pretty fun. In case you miss them, which you did, because they weren't no. slacking on Easter eggs. At the core of the show, and there's a lot going on, it's about Henry Deaver, mm-hmm. played by Andre Holland, who was also in Moonlight, as he attempts to find out the origins of a mysterious man found in the basement of Shawshank Prison, who, throughout the show, is just called The Kid. And is played by Bill Skarsgård, um, who has been in other Stephen King adaptations, most notably It. And who is not, we should say, a kid. No, and I don't know that they ever actually called him the kid. I watch stuff with subtitles on. So whenever he would speak, it would say I think maybe like twice. I heard, I mean, that's how I'd been referring yeah. to him that whole time. Because that's what I heard. Uh, The show... Deals with a lot of themes, including what we inherit from our families, what to do with evil that's out in the world, and, uh, you know, kind of reflecting on if we have a moral responsibility to help others, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of complicated, and it's hard to even talk about the show without spoiling it. So from here on out, there will be spooky Castle Rock spoilers. And if you do not, if you do not want to be spoiled, now is the time to go pause, watch go watch Come it, back. and then return. It's on Hulu, y'all. It's on Hulu, all of it. You can borrow Kelly's password like <laughs> back into. Perfect. We'll, we'll give it out in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, something I was thinking about because we haven't talked about this show much uh, before recording this. <laughs> in, our in our private, private text message <laughs> but i think it's important for us to talk about what we expected this show to be versus what it actually ended up being like were your expectations met or did the show turn out to be something entirely different was that a good thing or a bad thing well i will say so i have watched most seasons of american horror story um Usually by the end of American Horror Story seasons, I am real fucking tired of it and annoyed, but I'm already like, well, I've made it this far. I'm going to finish. I'm here. I'm watching Apocalypse right now. I hate (laughs) it. Why do you watch it? I hate every minute of it. But it's supposed to connect some of the previous seasons, like, all together. So I'm like, well, I feel like I need to watch this to see how all this shit connects. So I'm already seeing some connections. And I'm like, you know. So I'm watching it. I'm not loving anything about any of it. I hate it every moment. 
So I will say that I was worried that this was going to go down the American Horror Story route of like trying to do way too many things and then like throwing a bunch of balls in the air and then all the balls just falling on you and you being pissed about it. For me, it didn't do that. For me, I felt like every time there was something mysterious happening, within a reasonable amount of time, it started to make sense what was happening with that. And so as far as like how mysteries were resolved, um, I was pretty pleased with that aspect of the show. There were a lot of things about the show that I thought could have been better, but at least that I thought was like really well done. Um, I was a little disappointed when I finally saw trailers for it and saw that it was going to be, like, in Shawshank, because that's not, like, one of my favorite mm-hmm. Stephen yeah. King things. Um, so when I saw that, I was like, oh, because I was kind of hoping for something a little bit spookier. Um, but yeah, that was my general feeling. Susan, you are, like, a big Stephen King fan. Yeah. Um, so maybe my expectations were unfairly high, but especially with, like, some really good Stephen King adaptations happening in the last like year with the new It movie and Gerald's Game, which I thought was great. And y'all, that and I don't think that book is trailer. great. Whew. Get ready. Yeah, that looks, that so looks like it's going to be great. So I was like, I was all in on this. Um, and I like that's one of the things I really like about a lot of his stories and novels, especially the short stories, is that they all kind of connect. Mm. Or you'll like hear there's an echo of some other story or a character that sort of passes through. That you know from somewhere else. I think that's really cool. <laughs> However. That being said. <laughs> uh, and I've read a lot of this stuff set in Castle Rock, too. So I, I was, like, pretty jazzed about that. I thought the first, like, four episodes especially were, like, I felt like the balls mm-hmm. in the air thing that you just said, Emily. I was like, there are yeah. balls everywhere. And I, I hope that they connect. And I, some of them did, but some of them I don't, I think were resolved and sort of unsatisfactory ways. Spoken like um, someone who has Which isn't surprising because Stephen, Stephen King's endings are kind of like notoriously maybe the weak spot. <laughs> so um, I was kind of worried it wasn't going to end up anywhere that was satisfying. However, I don't think that's necessarily true. I just think the beginning gave us like, here's six mysteries <laughs> at once. Like, try to keep up. And three of them are going to be way less compelling than the other three. <laughs> you know? Yes. I would have rather had two to three more compelling things, yeah. um, even if it was just two of the ones that were happening. But, like, really go into those further. Um, it felt like six not that well-fleshed-out mysteries to me. Ooh. That being said, that episode, like, um, the Sissy Spacex yes. centric episode, that was episode the best seven, one, I think, was so sure. good. <laughs> like, that was easily the best episode of the season. That was there. Um, we need an for award. Sure. And, like, that's the kind of stuff I like to, like, really get in there with, like, one character, one mystery. And that, that brought together a lot of things, but didn't throw everything at you. <laughs> yeah, you I've did. been talking for an hour and a half, I think, so I'm sure. No, girl. I, I, I. <laughs> I felt strongly about that episode. I, I, mean, <laughs> I yeah, it. we will read talk as much about Stephen that, King as you and Emily and Kelly. I, don't I have not read any Stephen King. A, super, a secret closet Stephen fan. I've watched well. a lot of Stephen King movies, but I have not any? read any of his books. Not, not, not a one. I just, I don't know. I think I was worried it was going to be too referential to Stephen King's other works, and that I wouldn't be able to understand it because of that. Um, not being as familiar, but instead the references to stuff were just kind of like 
throw away. If you get it, you get it. And if you don't, it's fine. Yeah, they weren't, like, important. That was my problem with the references. Susan wanted to show that Mary and I wouldn't have been able to watch. <laughs> I mean, it just felt very, like, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, That's nudge. That's not what I mean. Like, ha, 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 you get it? That's not what I mean. Because that, you know, Jackie Torrance, you get it? That was the worst. Oh, my God. <sighs> I hated that. Yeah. Oh, and, like, Lord. what? Okay, if you're going to bring in a reference to Jack Torrance... Like, make it better than that, or make it, like, worth it somewhere later, but it just isn't. And I, that's, I felt like a lot of the references just were there to be, like, look how many things we can say in an episode. I was having fun at first being like, ooh, like, that page you see torn out in the beginning is from the Green right. Mile. Like, that one's from Misery. The newspaper clippings were Cujo, and there was a reference to Christine, and I was like, really excited about all those things but none of them actually mattered it was, to this story or any of these it was more stories. of just like all of those weird Stephen King things happened in this town where other weird things are happening yeah but that's not enough for me to want to see like pan across newspaper right. articles about you know I, I mean I liked I liked being able to like see those things but I'm hoping that some of those do matter in the next well here's the thing like it's an anthology series or will (laughs) but maybe i mean i don't want these stories to pick up again but maybe like Mm -hmm. you know when they reference oh when they found the body in the woods blah 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 like that's that's the body which became stand by me in movie format but like something like that it'd be cool to pick up those like little bitty threads and make a new season I'm kind of, I'm kind of with Emily to some extent <laughs> of like, I too have watched a lot of American Horror Story. Because you've been burned. And like, the only and I point understand. of watching American Horror Story is so that it will make other shows better in comparison. Well, the first, the first couple of yeah. seasons are really good. I've never watched it, but I've always like wanted to. And now I feel like maybe don't. No, that show is fucking garbage. Murder, Do Murder not House watch is it. the only season worth watching. I, I think it's not good. I think Murder House is actually scary for the first like five I hated episodes. That season. It was really scary. And then I was like, I think Murder House is good. I think Coven's good. I think the Asylum's good. Murder. <laughs> I can't even get into how, like, this show is a point of contention between me it's, and so many people. Don't get me wrong. It's it. bad. So no, I, I 100% it. it's It's terrible. bad, but it's, it's fun. <laughs> it just makes me mad because so many people watch it and they're like, I, I love that show. It's so good. I I'm like, never have I Never have I loved that show. Every time I watch that show, it's always... <laughs> well, I guess I gotta fucking watch this shit now. Like, every time. And yet I keep doing it. I don't know why. I feel it's like you're in like an abusive relationship girl. with this show. Yeah, I, I like it. I've I've gotten off of it. I didn't of, watch you know, like, The past couple of seasons because um, they've been really bad. But the thing is, is like, <laughs> once you start watching American Horror Story, it's super campy and it's a totally yeah. different vibe than Castle Rock, which is trying to be more serious Trying not to play up. It's more like a it's subtle less Ryan horror, what's I think. Ryan Murphy. It's more just less Ryan Murphy. I uh, think it's less like this is horror, but also could be an episode of Glee. <laughs> oh my god, circus! When there yes. was actual singing yes. in it, I was like, or not freak show. There's actual singing, and I was like, he just wanted to make Glee again, and I'm so pissed. I'm not here for that. So, like, the thing is, is, like, once you've watched American Horror Story and that's your horror anthology show <laughs> reference, yeah, you're, 
you know, it's kind of like, well, yeah. Castle Rock is prestige television. Well, it is well made, for sure. If that's your reference. I mean, another horror anthology that might be worth comparing this to is Channel Zero. Oh, what's that? Which is, it's a television show that comes on the sci-fi channel, I think, which usually is <laughs> the kiss of death for me. That's but, a deep cut. Um, it, I saw one season of what it. What if you don't on, have a cable package that gets you 300 channels? Right, it's tra- <laughs> sci-fi is like channel 760 or something. <laughs> <laughs> I... So, like, I watched the season of Channel Zero that was based on the search and rescue creepypasta. Ooh, that's that pretty nice. good. That was pretty good. Um, but Castle Rock, like, I don't know what I expected it to be, but it both was more than what I expected <laughs> in a good way and not enough at the same time. Yeah, I felt like, like it too. was too much. <laughs> I didn't... <laughs> I didn't have like a specific expectation because I didn't even like I didn't watch a trailer or anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't like no. I just like was kind of like okay, it's gonna be a show. Like my <laughs> only reference point show. was that I was like, it's gonna be. A You're show. like I'm being forced like, to watch. This. It lived up to that expectation. <laughs> it was like with, show. Yeah, <laughs> with Stephen King things, and then I was like, okay, the uh, the other Hulu show that we watched was Handmaid's Tale, so. I was thinking, like, okay, it's probably going to be kind of, like, serious and, like, dark-ish. I don't know. I haven't watched any of Hulu's other, like, original series. But I was just thinking that they might take, like, a similar approach. So, and in some ways, I'm, like, the vibe is, like, serious, like, like, drama, like, horror drama. Like, there's really barely anything funny in this show at all. Like, it really doesn't have much of a sense of humor. Which is okay. Like, I wasn't expecting that necessarily but i was never like like this show very rarely surprised me except for the one episode that we talked about where like that episode happened and i was like oh my god this show is like going somewhere like this is really good and then it never quite reached that peak again and what was that like episode six maybe it was seven seven i checked (laughs) okay so like that was the best one and then it just sort of like went back downhill not that it was bad like it it didn't like go beneath the surface of the ground in yeah. level of badness. Yeah, it definitely it wasn't like... bad. But yeah. that episode was way better than the rest of them, I think. And then speaking of, if you're comparing this to the other Hulu show that we watched, it's nowhere near as good as Handmaid's Tale. I can only speak for season one. I haven't seen season two. Mm. I will watch another season of this. Like, I definitely will. Yeah, but see, it says something that, that have any of us... Did any of us watch? I was too stressed. Two of Handmaid's no, I'm too depressed. Like the season it, one, was yeah, so like no one wants though. to watch that. <laughs> of course, it was depressing. It was so fucking was depressing. Good. Season one was so good, but remember, like back when we mm. thought that we were living in the Handmaid's Tale, then well, we're definitely living in the Handmaid's Tale now. To the point where, like, would I you rather live there that. or in Castle Rock, where you're like definitely going <laughs> Castle to Rock for sure? Die. <laughs> at least because I can, you like, get out of your misery faster because <laughs> someone will kill you least... or you'll kill yourself like yeah yeah um at least i'm not getting raped i would rather kill myself than live in the hands you could be jackie torrance writing the novel <laughs> yeah i don't want to be <laughs> okay oh god we'll see and does is i hope the second i hope the second season is not about Jackie Torres. 
it seems like they're setting it, it seems up like for it that. Might be, yeah. I don't want it that. Might, I really don't. I, I mean, I don't. Um, I don't mind the the actress. It's just like no, I don't mind her either. The like that's not gonna stupid like idea that she like like named herself that. Yeah, it's so yeah. so fucked well, up. Like, girl, I understand liking true crime, but naming yourself after your uncle who murdered a bunch of people. Poor choice. Not that. And also, like, if we're doing Castle Rock stories, like, The Shining is not one. Nope. Um, Not that all of these have to be direct references to things that took place in Castle Rock, but there are some really good stories and some really bad ones that actually are, like, part of Castle Rock and use those Mm -hmm. characters. Like, Sheriff Pangborn is in like several. Oh, really? Stories. I don't know if you. Yeah. Only true fans um, will know. Alan Pangborn. <laughs> I mean, I knew that before it was cool. Yeah, I just like quickly was scrolling through that article with mm-hmm. the Easter eggs, and so he I saw is him in there. The, okay, speaking of the serious vibe of this, um, this show, it reminds me a lot of the vibe of Needful Things. Emily, have you read Needful Things? feel like it's been a really long time like i was probably mm, oh boy i love that you read all of these as a literal child okay so needful things there's a lot of references to needful things in this show but that book like takes itself way too seriously um and is not very good (laughs) actually it's really bad it's probably my least favorite stephen king book with like my favorite sounding premise (laughs) but Anyway, there's a, like, newspaper article reference to that, too. Like, shopkeeper missing after fire at local shop or something. The vibe of that book is kind of what I feel like this show was doing. But um, I actually always thought that book would work really well as a show, so I kind of actually wanted it to be about that stuff. But it's not. (laughs) It's hard, too, because, like, King has such a thorough oeuvre of books. Like, there's so many things the show could have been about. One one thing I was thinking about and it wasn't about any of those. One things. thing I was thinking about while watching the show, especially towards the end, was like a lot of the characters to me were not super fleshed out. I even by the end, I was like, "Oh, there's Melanie Linsky." This is why the mysteries aren't that fleshed out. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd be like, "There's Melanie Lin- Linsky." Jane Levy is here. I did remember Jane Levy's name because she's Jackie Torrance, but. You know, like, names didn't completely stick for me. Characters didn't seem fully developed. Not Henry Deaver. <laughs> Not Henry, who every single person who talked to him, especially Melanie Linsky, would oh, be like, I did. I mean, Henry. yeah, but, like, Henry. I don't know. And, like, there's Henry. a lot of big names. Or they'd say Henry Deaver <laughs> every single time. in this show that weren't being yeah. used much. Like, Jane Levy was around, creeping around, but she didn't do much. She didn't get to shine outside of, like, hitting someone in the head with an axe once. And Sissy Spacek, the literal Carrie, has a mm-hmm. really good episode, probably the strongest episode of the season. But she doesn't get to do much outside of that. I just, I just think more could have been done with this cast. And Susan has a note here in our document, not to mention Frances Conroy. Yes, that's someone who elevates American Horror Story every time she's Wait, who's Frances Conroy? Frances Conroy is the woman who is also in Six Feet Under. She has red hair. She w- yeah. in my queen. In this, she was playing um, the warden. Oh, widow. her. Okay, yeah, I know who she is. Okay, 
Oh, yeah, that yes. was so weird. Why was she only She's in, like, the beginning, year? and then she basically disappears. By the way, I would just like to say that in the in the first episode of Castle Rock, when they showed that John Locke was in it, I, was, I told them, like, oh, he's a big actor. Like, he'll be here for a while, and then he immediately killed himself. And I was like, oh, okay. He was, he was in flashbacks a bit. Flashbacks. All right, see ya. I really, I did like that there were, like, previous Stephen King adaptation actors. I thought that was yeah. cool, yeah. even though, I mean, it's not like they're playing the person they played before, but I, I, I love, as soon as I saw Sissy Spacek, I was like, oh my god, yes! Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, Bill Skarsgård, who is freakishly yes. tall. Is yeah. he really that tall? Alexander Skarsgård okay. is also very tall. Or did they- like I, I feel like they were like, we need somebody to just kind of, like, be around and look really unsettling. Bill, are you <laughs> yeah, seriously. lumber about? He is so fucking creepy looking. Can you lumber about and say two lines an episode? Basically, until the very end. He also always is looking like... <laughs> no one can see that, Mary. It's a podcast. Yeah. Actually, there was one scene where I was like, is he hot? <laughs> of course. Of and then I was course. like... Well, if you've ever watched and then I was um, like, no, Hemlock Grove, really. the Netflix TV show, there's two seasons of it. That's where I first saw Bill Skarsgård, and I'm like, I don't know, I'm kind of attracted. It's just because he's tall. He's tall. Okay, guys. thank you. He's I'm glad it wasn't. He's just, just tall. Well, he has very striking In features. Gross, he's a little more attractive. I know the he line. Has, like, he's not like he's attractive. He's not like he's plain looking. Like he's very like Ugh. you would never you would see his face <laughs> and like know him for the rest of your life. Like he's not a face you're gonna forget. Like. Right. That face will haunt your fucking nightmares. I'm more of an Alexander Skarsgård girl, personally. Well, I mean, who isn't? Right. So. (laughs) I'm more into Papa Skarsgård. Papa Papa. Skarsgård. Daddy Skarsgård. Father of the Skarsgård boys. (laughs) Daddy Skarsgård. I'm kidding. Um, It's the name of this episode, Papa Skarsgård. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, Danny Skar- Danny. Danny Skarsgård. It's Danny Torrance after he Danny, gets married. Danny Skarsgård is like the lost brother. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, cut all of this out. He's somewhere <laughs> in an alternate universe timeline. But yeah, so there's like all these really good actors. But I mean, yes, I felt like there weren't so many balls in the air that I couldn't figure out what was going on, but there were so many balls in the air that I felt like no one character got fully developed. Yeah. I just want to note that we said balls a lot this episode. I thought about making a joke about it earlier, but then I was like, you're above that, Kelly. I'm and... not. I'm not. <laughs> None of us are above a good balls joke. Anyway, yeah. I agree. I agree. I feel like the characters weren't very developed. It's weird. One of the characters I thought I actually could relate to the most was uh, Henry Deaver's son. Who I was just about to mention was yeah. also the kid from It. He played yes. Mike his, name is, his name is Chance. Somebody to help me out. Chosen Jacobs. That's his name. Yes. He's a cutie. Yes. yes. So I actually really liked his character. And I was like, I get where he's coming from because he's sort of like thrown in here he doesn't really um have a good relationship with his dad um he's trying trying. he's stuck in the house okay when he's like and this is the 
is this the sissy space? I think this is the episode before the sissy space episode where he's like stuck in the house with her, and then like mm-hmm. I, I they're home yeah, alone. I just fell for him there. They're home alone, and the kid comes right. in, and uh, Baby sissy Spacek's Star. character Ruth says, "Wendell, just go to the mall, buy yourself something." And he's like, "Okay, leave me here with him." <laughs> I, my favorite thing is that, like, multiple times throughout the series, he just goes, like, this is fucked up. Yeah. That, no, but, like, that's why I really, I, I was, like, that, I feel like that would be most viewers, if they were in the show, mm-hmm. they would yeah. just be, like, the fuck are y'all doing? All right, I guess yeah. I'll just, all right, whatever. So. I guess I'll go to the mall, Grandma. Yeah. Yeah. So She's, anyway. like, leave me in the house with the strange man. Who broke in. Whatever. But, yeah. Go buy yourself something nice. So, yeah, I liked him. I most want to talk about the end. Okay. The last couple of episodes, and this maybe was because I took a long hiatus between watching the Sissy Spacek episode and the last Because you just needed time to process that. There, There was, like, a series of weeks where I'd be like, let's watch the new Castle Rock. And I'd look at Todd, and he'd look at me, and we'd go, uh. Nah. Yeah. Well, I watched all of it this week, so. Boy. (laughs) What a journey. What an adventure. I had to binge. Well, Ben and I watched them every week as they came out, so we're the true fans. Yeah, I don't do that with (laughs) any show. I guess you're the the coolest couple (laughs) of all of us. Um, Wow. Thanks, Susan. I am going to take that as not sarcastic and say thank you. (laughs) It wasn't okay. I meant to. You're what we all aspire to be. So, in the last couple of episodes, there was a lot going on. We find out that apparently there is another dimension <laughs> where Bill Skarsgård, the kid, is Henry Deaver and has a normal life. More or less, his dad lives and is crazy. Well, his dad's crazy in every dimension, let's be real. Yeah, it's true. that's true, but he's only alive in one. But he was crazy before uh, he died. Yes. But so there's like, Bill Skarsgård is Henry Deaver, and also uh, Andre Holland is Henry Deaver. Well, Bill Skarsgård is, so it was said earlier that the, uh, the mom and the dad tried to have a child and lost the child. Mm-hmm. Either, did they lose it in childbirth or before? Like shortly before I don't know, or something? I don't know. My impression uh, was because the gravestone said born to heaven, that yeah. it was like still okay. born or miscarried yeah. or something. So he, uh, this is the alternate, like the parallel universe in which that baby survived. Therefore, mm. they never adopted the other Henry Deaver. So they named their kid Henry. And so this is that dimension. Mm. And things go differently. It's still a lot. How it's still a lot about to throw that? an alternate dimension. I will. It explains yeah, a lot. <laughs> It does. Yeah. But, and so apparently in uh, Bill Skarsgård's dimension, and for a while I was just calling them White Henry and Black Henry, (laughs) which felt bad. (laughs) Which felt bad. But you need some way to differentiate them when you're talking about them. But so in Bill Skarsgård's Henry world. His dad found 
a young boy in the woods who turned out to be Henry Andre Holland. But ba- baby Andre Holland. <laughs> baby Andre. And he keeps him like in a cell he made in his basement mm-hmm. for months. Or years. Well, did we ever did we ever talk about the fact that because we t- we said the plot description, but did we ever say that like like th- when the show starts, we discover that Andre Holland Henry disappeared as a child, right? And yes. nobody knows where he went, when- and he doesn't have any memory of basically anything before he comes back. Like his memory is entirely wiped. Yeah, and he was gone for like twelve yeah. days. He went to another dimension. Yes. But we didn't know that years. until, like, episode eight or something. <laughs> right. Nine. It is revealed in the end. <laughs> and so Bill Skarsgård, Henry Deaver, now is in Andre Holland, Henry Deaver's mm-hmm. universe. Yeah, because he... And has been captured and imprisoned for years. Because he helped... And he wants to go home. Baby Henry escape the other dimension. But it got it dragged him into that dimension. Right. So at this point, you know, I was like, okay, so it's a little dimension mix-up. It happens. Um, Easy peasy. All all that needs to happen is we need to get Bill Skarsgård back to his dimension and everything is fine. Mm -hmm. So they go out into the woods, presumably, to do this. But then Andre Holland's like, no. I can't let him go back. Well, what happens is he fucking, like... What happened was... He's fucking a skeleton person. He looks like a monster for just a second. Yeah. And the camera angle suggests that he looks like a monster to Andre Holland, Henry. But when the camera pulls away and shows both of them, he doesn't look like that anymore. And I was... I understood why he wouldn't let him leave. He then, like, locks him up. Just like you know, the former warden did and keeps him in a cell. I get that. I get why he did that because he perceived him as a monster. Maybe the devil as they called him all season. I don't understand if he was actually a but monster. he made bad things yeah, happen. Yeah, I don't either. He made bad things happen wherever he went. Yeah, but was that just because of there. the fact that he was in the wrong yeah. dimension? Because didn't the same thing yeah. happen with the other Henry in the other dimension? Yes. So it's just sort of yes. like if you're creating some sort of like rift in the dimension, then there's just chaos wherever you go. Is that the idea? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But and that's what I would. Henry, think. Uh, White Henry, <laughs> Bill Sarscard Henry. Was acting like a fucking lunatic. And, like, I get yeah. that he was chained up for a really long time, but he was being real creepy. But, okay. okay. He wasn't... He doesn't well, know another the way thing. to be. Here's the thing. Again, in the other dimension, the baby Andre Holland Henry was also acting real weird and creepy. Not in the same way, though. I don't know. Maybe it's just Bill Sarsgaard's face. I think it's sort of like we excuse it more when it's a child (laughs) acting that way because I think part of the thing is like, and I was going to say one of the reasons I think he was called the kid is because he's acting kind of infantile. Like he's just like wide-eyed and like confused. Well, like, because yeah, the baby Henry seemed wide-eyed and confused to me. But Bill Sarsgaard seemed wide-eyed and confused but also kind of malicious yeah. Like, there were things that he said, and 
like like the way that he would talk to people was very like threatening even though the things he was saying weren't necessarily threatening but he had like a a way of i'm trying to like i don't have any specific examples of like when he was talking to people but and mostly just he barely yeah. talked at people well in the episode with in the in the awesome sissy space like mm-hmm. episode just like when he's talking to her um about like drawing her back yeah like he's saying a nice thing like oh i'll, I'll draw one mm-hmm. for you but it sounds like i'm deaf about to murder you mm-hmm. yeah in the back yeah and then <laughs> he like in the last moments of the last episode uh we see it's like a year later and Andre Holland has locked him up in the cell that he was locked up in before and has gone to, like, visit him on Christmas and bring him a hamburger because, oh, obviously, man. Andre Holland is a kind <sighs> and upstanding man. And uh, he gives him this, and uh, Bill Sarsgaard is like, you know, I know that you don't, but, like, I know that you still have doubts about me, but, like, you know eventually you'll see or whatever and then henry slash andre holland is like all right bye and he leaves and then (laughs) bill sarsgaard is like looking at the camera and it's like this very long hold on his face and it like switches like like goes over the bars of the cell that he's in and like as the bars cross over his face he gets this like very 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 fucking creepy smile on his face and it like holds that for a couple seconds then it ends and so the smile mm-hmm. is kind of like a maybe he is yeah. evil, right? I hundred percent think he could be, I th- but I just don't. I think know. it's kind of. I think it's probably the point that we don't know if he's evil or not. Because like the little monologue yeah. or you know narration thing that's leading into that moment is Henry Andre Holland talking about you know who knows if. Like, it's, you know, people say this town, like, it's the town. The town did this to me. Who knows if, like, you were a monster before, like, if you were a monster all along or if something made you into a monster, but now this is who you are and you're here and this is where you live. And then it, like, goes Mm -hmm. into the scene with him and Mm -hmm. other Henry. So I guess the question is, like, is he evil? What is evil? Is evil uh, circumstantial or is it, like, you know, inherent in a person. Boy. Such big questions. I don't know. No answers at all. <laughs> or does your environment make you totally evil and you can't help it anyway? Like if you live, it's inevitable if you live in a place like Castle Rock. Yeah. I do like, this is like a really simple tie-in, but like for a while when I was like, there's too many balls. So many balls. Um, all the balls. And I was like, oh yeah, when they asked yeah. him his name in the beginning... Like, when they just kept saying, who are you? And he kept yeah. saying, Henry Deaver. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, he's asking for Henry Deaver. Like, no, he Which really is funny because at the beginning, Henry. I thought he was saying that he, he was Henry Deaver. Yeah, I did too. And then I was like, oh, okay, I guess not. And, like, they told us in the actual beginning that he was Henry Deaver. But then there was that, <laughs> then there was a clip of what's-his-face, um, John Locke. Terry O'Quinn. I don't remember that actor's name. Mm-hmm. But John Locke uh, tells him, when they find yeah. you, ask for Henry Deaver. Um, I will say about the ending. So I think, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't hate that. Um, no. I no, but I mean, even just the no. alternate dimension thing, I think that's not always like a palatable way out of stuff. 
for people necessarily. No, but I don't think we have to know mm-hmm. the answer. I was reading some reviews because I was curious, like what other people thought of the end. And one of them, which I think might have also been from Vulture, was talking about like this is very thematically mm-hmm. a thing Stephen King would do, and that's true. It is really like in keeping with other stuff he's written. Like one of my favorite short story well it's a novella I guess um the Langoliers is mm-hmm. like the whole thing happens because they pass through this like rip in the space-time continuum and madness ensues mm-hmm. of course and there are there are other ones that I can't think of right now but this isn't the first time that's happened and, and I think he, he likes to play with that like where there's like a place where there's like a weak spot that you can like pass through to this other other timeline um, which, so I guess it felt like, yeah, that is, it's Stephen King, whether you like it or not, like that is right. in keeping with this. So cool. it's a lot more like yeah. sci-fi than a lot of his stuff that I really like. It's in four past, four past midnight. Yep. I agree. That's all I have to say, but I've never read the Langoliers, but yeah, you know what? But like a lot of his, a lot of his books have right. sci-fi elements to it. Like even it is kind of sci-fi because the explanation for Pennywise is kind of sci-fi, more sci-fi than it is horror because Pennywise isn't supernatural per se. He's, he's more like a alien. If you have any questions or comments about Castle Rock, uh, we would love to hear from you. We would absolutely love to hear from you. So email us. You know what happened in Please the Please let end? us know. Let yeah. us know. Please. Like we need to know. Hot or not, Bill Skarsgård. <laughs> or just tall. <laughs> I had the pleasure of interviewing Gabrielle Moss, author of Paperback Crush, the totally radical history of 80s and 90s teen fiction. And we talked about some of the texts that Gabby discusses in the book, but we also speculated about uh, other fun things like what property needs the Riverdale treatment next. It was really fun talking to her and... I am thankful we got a chance to chat. Yay. Let's hear it. Hi, Gabrielle. Hi. This is Mary from Book Squad Goals. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Nice to meet you, too. I'm super excited to talk. I just finished Paperback Crush, and I'm so amped to talk about it. Yay! So on our podcast, I don't know if you've ever listened before, but we talk about books a lot, and we also talk about um, just, like, general pop culture, and we often like to start with a nice icebreaker question that's just sort of fun, Mm -hmm. and when I was reading your breakdown of The Babysitter's Club (laughs) and Paperback Crush, I felt like I had to ask... Which babysitter's club do you feel like you identify with the most? I feel like that is such a complex question because I know I know I I want to say Claudia, but I feel like you can't you can't dub yourself a Claudia. Someone else has to say you're a Claudia. I mean, so. I think you can. Maybe. May, I, you know. I my dark confession is I actually never read the babysitter's club books growing up. And it's like kind of shameful because all my friends have read them and I study young adult literature, 
like professionally. So anytime someone mentions it, it's just like a blank in my knowledge. <laughs> what were you reading then instead? Oh, I was like a total awkward science fiction girl. Like I read a lot yeah. of Animorphs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Animorphs is great. Oh uh, yeah, it's it's also sort of like in that weird time suck zone of the <laughs> 90s where there was just so many series happening. And that's something that really struck me as like all of these books that you talk about in Paperback Crush are a series. Yeah. And just there were so many. Yeah, and especially by like you're saying by the mid 90s there were so many series and so many series that had like three books in them and then they were yes. like not working, cancel it, make a new series. New series. <laughs> just scrap it, slightly relabel it. Basically. But, like, I think, and this is something you talk about in the book as well, like, there's such an element of escapism allowed by series. Like, you can just start reading a series and there's so many books you don't have to stop. Or you can just pick up another series. And you say in the book that you became a reader through reading stuff like Sweet Valley High. Not just, like, someone who read books, but a reader. Yeah. Um... Is there something particularly about series like this, uh, like these 80s and 90s series, which we don't see a lot of now? No. Like this style. Is there something specifically about series like this that you feel lends itself to making readers or sort of like fostering those sorts of voracious reading habits? I mean, I know for me, so I learned to read from, like, learned to read chapter books from Sweet Valley High, you know, yes. probably very inappropriate to be reading those at, like, age seven, but I was. Damage is done. Yeah. Um, but I think the fact that they are just pure pleasure kind of brought me into the idea that reading is a kind of pure pleasure, you know? Yes. I know that my parents were, like, driven practically to tears by the fact that I was, like, reading these all the time instead of, like, the classics, but I think that reading these kind of fluffy books where you could, you know, finish it in an afternoon and like have a real sense of accomplishment for a seven-year-old kind of got me and I think a lot of people hooked on the act of reading, that it was a thing that, you know, wasn't going to make you cry because it was so hard, that it was just, you know, easy, breezy, totally fantastical, no real lessons to be learned, yeah. just like fun. Or like maybe they were trying to impart a lesson, but there's so much romance and drama and stuff I, I, that it's just lost. Like, I think a lot of these series did a better job of imparting lessons than uh, Sweet Valley High. I think Sweet Valley High has the fewest and worst lessons of any series, and that's probably why I like it so much. It is, like, I really felt your love for Sweet Valley High <laughs> echoing through the book, and uh, it is it is such a weird series to me because it hits all those classic romantic sort of tropes but then it's also sort of like it's about twins <laughs> which is not unusual but like some of the plot lines that happened because they were twins were bonkers I think the thing I love about Sweet Valley High like now that I'm an adult looking back on all this you know I read Babysitter's Club I read right. all of these series but um Sweet Valley High, I think, even when you're pretty young, reads is pretty campy. Like, yes. I also used to, I used to love the soap opera Passions, and I think it's, like, exactly like Sweet Valley High. Just, like, it is. wild stuff going on in every direction, you know, like, mm -hmm. everyone has twins. There's always, like, evil people showing up and then, like, disappearing immediately. Um, like, secret actually, siblings. Yeah. Revealed. You know, 
like by the end of Sweet Valley High, let's see, there had been a third evil twin who tried to kill them. Oh my gosh. They, they went to England and like met a werewolf. A serial killer came to Sweet Valley. There was a giant earthquake and a bunch of people died. Like just, you know, things were always off the wall. And um, I do think like, you know, I enjoy a camp sensibility a lot now. And I feel like getting into Sweet Valley High was probably the, the first step in that lifelong journey. Like it's yes. not, um, it's not good literature, which a lot of other, of these other books are. Um, but it was very fun. I, I love camp and I think <laughs> it's so, it's super fun. And I, I mean, that's one thing that's sort of like remarkable about a lot of these series in the eighties and nineties is they were kind of campy and ridiculous. Like, um, you know, we had all those evil twins and serial yeah. killers and wild, uh, like, weird romances or a friendly ghost that you yeah. can befriend or <laughs> fall in love with. And, like, there's such a pressure now in young adult literature to be uh, capital L literary. Yeah. I feel like, um, you know, I talk about this a little bit in the book, but sort of mm -hmm. the pendulum swings back and forth. And uh, before these kind of, like, very frothy, very campy books in the 80s and 90s, the, the trend in the 70s was also to be very serious, to have, you know, to try to make sure your books had a significant literary value and to make sure they were, you know, confronting real issues. You know, everything was about the kind of problems that kids might encounter in their lives. So um, and I feel like we're sort of sort of back there, which does make me wonder if we're due for another swing into a uh, super fluffy nonsense territory. Oh, yeah. I kind of hope so. I think that would be fun and maybe like lighten the genre a little bit. You know, I feel like I almost feel unqualified to comment. Like I read modern uh, YA just as like yeah. a fan and a reader. I feel like I'm like not an expert. I feel uh, like that makes you qualified. <laughs> yeah, I, you're definitely qualified. I would <laughs> say I mean, more so than the average person. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I enjoy, you know, reading current day YA. I read it all the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the fact that today's YA is super appealing to a 36 year old woman makes mm -hmm. it maybe means maybe it's less useful to a 10 year old kid trying to figure out friendships. Right. I have no idea, but I don't know either. I mean, it is like so many of these earlier series, you could like sustain a whole novel or a whole series just on like girls being friends. Yeah. Like that's the whole plot. And now it seems like most YA novels have to have some big gripping issue. Like uh, we are going to be friends, but also like there was a school shooting. How do we deal with it? Or um, like, we're just friends, but someone was assaulted. And that's like, all of that stuff is like valid news, you know? Yeah. But it, it it does sort of like take away that escapism, I feel like, because that's stuff that's actually happening in the real world and it's like hard. I mean, yeah, that's very similar to yeah, the YA scene of the seventies. Mm -hmm. Um and like, you know, some of the really early romance series were explicitly marketed in contrast to that, to be like you are you are tired of hearing about your own problems and remembering them. Like, get carried away with this fluffy romance. Yes. I, and that's that's so great. <laughs> so you've done a lot of research about these series, and I was just, like, really sort of impressed by what a comprehensive view you give of them. And you have uh, sort of like a disclaimer at the beginning of the book that says, by the way, diversity is really bad <laughs> in a lot of these novels. And it's about, for a large 
chunk of these series, it's about white girls. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's something that's changing now, but we could always do better. Yeah. But there's also like a lot of books that you mentioned that feature sort of more diverse characters or are written by uh, people of color themselves. And I just wondered if maybe you would want to talk a little bit about like that relationship between these more diverse books and these sort of fluffier uh, books about white girls hanging out. Well, the uh, the really bummer thing I learned while researching this is mm-hmm. like, you know, when I was growing up, the books about white girls were pushed, you know, to the front. Like they were the ones that were in your face. Yes. I learned about these more diverse books from that same era as an adult doing research, but they just like, they didn't have the same kind of marketing push. No one was trying to get them to succeed in the mm-hmm. same way that they would another book about just like a group of middle class white girls. Like, you know, they seemed like they had less of a marketing budget or like a lot of these, you know, writers struggled to place these books with a publisher, even though they were really well written, just, you know, these publishers didn't care to be more diverse. I guess too, like I was pretty young during this time and definitely not like tapped into the publishing industry. Yeah. Um, as a, you know, like a seven year old or something. Wait, you were seven years old and not sitting in on publishing industry meetings. I, you know, like I you? missed out on that day <laughs> at school, in elementary school. But, uh, that's kind of what I suspected, you know, like, probably these other books weren't getting published. But it is interesting how you say a lot of these books actually, the books written by people of color were actually sort of more on that literary side and sort of now better regarded because of it. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but it seems like some of those have a more lasting impact. You know, it seemed to me sort of like the classic thing where when you have any kind of marginalized identity, you're made to work like 10 times as hard, you know, like that if you are a writer of color, you have to produce like a perfect novel instead of just sort of slapping together something about sleepovers and being like, it's a book, go publish it. (laughs) Here you go. It's a book about friendship. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it is it is exciting, though, to sort of... I mean, like you said, you had to research these books and seek them out, and so it's nice to see them showcased, because I didn't see... You know, I didn't know them either, and it was fun to sort of learn about them along the yeah. way. I was very happy to, yeah, have, have learned about them myself. Yeah. Um, I was also happy... This is This is a weird thing, but I was happy to hear that you were not a horse girl growing up. <laughs> I tried. Oh God, I tried I so hard, but it just never took. I went to, I went to horseback riding camp because my best friend was a horse girl, oh, and I man. just I, one summer and I just did not did not know what to do. Sat sat in the in the main house like drinking seltzer. Just did not know what to do with myself. <laughs> That's I I love the idea that you were trying really hard to be a horse girl. I mean, I was, you know, it's such a thing. It's such a thing. And I was, you know, I I don't think it'll be too shocking to anyone to hear that, like, this writer was really unpopular growing up. You You just try to fit in with other girls. So I try I had tried very hard to become 
both a horse girl and a, a tennis girl and just neither neither one worked out. I, I mean, I also wasn't a horse girl, so I feel <laughs> your pain there. I really wanted it, um, especially because I grew up in like a super rural area. And the horse phase is just like such a pivotal part to a lot of girls' lives. Um, but that made made me think like there are some really niche series that you talk about. <laughs> Like, we have the whole Horse Girl series, right? Where we have, like, the Saddle Club. And yeah. um, that was so huge for a lot of girls. And it's not something that resonates with everyone, like, the more general theme of friendship. I mean, I think one of the interesting things about uh, this all the series from this era is that it was almost... I hate to use use like a like business jargon, but it was almost yeah. like narrow, narrow casting. Like mm-hmm. you know, you're going for there was a series aiming at all these different specific identities that like you might have in elementary school. Like, right. are you a horse girl? Are you into gymnastics? Do you play softball? Are you into mm-hmm. ballet? Like, do you love school? Do you? It's just you know, everything was kind of about trying to hit trying to discover a new underserved population who would suddenly start like buying all of your books. Yeah. And, and like it led to some weird, some weird identities that they were trying to market to. Although like now that I'm, I'm like in this conversation, I'm like, Oh, it's funny that they were like, yeah, you know, like softball players are an identity and like, you know, uh, ballet is an identity we want to reach, but like people of color is not an identity we want to reach. That is worry about that. It's really Bad. I mean, I feel like, and this is kind of always the case, right? When we look back on media from the past, we have to think like, that was bad. And yeah. I'm happy we're doing a little better now. Because <laughs> it's just really bad. It, yeah. Because that's, really I mean, that's bad. not a niche identity at all. No, I mean, it's like, I, I was about to swear. Can I swear on here? Or no? Yeah, no. Swear I mean, away. That's a, that's a fucking shit ton of people. <laughs> like, it's a huge amount of people. It's just, you know, it's, I don't know, when I when I look back on that kind of stuff and the things that were considered identities worth trying to engage with and identities that weren't considered worth trying to engage with, it's, uh, it is very shocking. It's, it's super shocking. Uh, like, one of the, the little jo- sort of, like, genre within the genre that I was really interested in was all of the horror books. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can oh, you that, talk, you talk a thing. little bit about those? Um, especially, like, Fear Street. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned people kept moving to Fear Street, despite <laughs> the fact that so many people were murdered there. <laughs> Do you think that was, like, a pre-internet thing? Like, no one could Google Fear Maybe. Street? Like, you like, had there to go to the library? So there like... wasn't, like, a Zillow... <laughs> Yeah. For Fear Street. There wasn't a Zillow where it's like, nine out of ten people say they were murdered at this house. Yes. <laughs> this one's full of ghosts. Enjoy. <laughs> um, is there like a particular sort of weird series that was just too niche to include in this book that you wish you could have talked about? Nothing was too weird. The only ones that I didn't include were like ones that I forgot about and then remembered after it was like already at the printer right. uh, there, there were a few of those like so that I mean but nothing nothing that seemed too strange got let out like yeah. left out anything that was for this age group and you know you could get a physical copy I was I was all over it yeah and you talk about buying some of these books too 
and how they're so super expensive now. Some of the, some of them are you know super cheap. You can get them right. used for no money, and then some of them are going on eBay for unbelievable quantities. I'm speaking specifically about the Sweet Valley High Slam book, which I yes. saw for one thousand dollars. Gosh, but like, what a thing to have at the same time. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's funny with this nostalgia stuff because I'm like, I, yeah. I had that. I had that in like 1994. Mm-hmm. Like it cost $3. Um, and I now should've... it's gone to time. <laughs> yeah. I, all of all of those tie-in books are really weird. The Judy Bloom Diary is weird. Like I don't yeah. need Judy Bloom to supervise my diary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just strange, but it makes total sense because if you're marketing all of these books to young girls and they have the purchasing power to buy like such long series, they probably would buy these add-on things too. Yeah, a big thing about this era of children's publishing is it was the first time that publishers kind of started going directly at children and teenagers, like making direct pleas to them for their money and trying to create products that were appealing to them instead of like something that would appeal to like a parent or a teacher or another person who'd be like, this seems like it's in good taste. So it it does make sense to me that they would milk, milk everything every which way. Yeah, and they're so tied to, like, these series books in some ways were a big part of the book fair culture, I guess, at elementary schools. I don't know if you ever did any of those, but, like... Oh, oh, yeah, I was all over book fairs. Yes, such a big deal. (laughs) The book fair was, like, the most exciting time of school for any small nerd child. I feel like it was the only time I was not just, like suffering the depths of existential angst and pain in elementary school with book fair day. But then, and then these books are like existential angst and pain <laughs> repackaged sometimes like boy trouble and such oh, drama. Yeah. I mean, and that was sort of the, the thing that made them, I guess, so appealing that, you know, you right. thought you were alone with your problems and your pain. And then there were, you know, all these books that were selling it back to you and saying you weren't alone. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really good point, is that such a huge part of this is about, uh, like, feeling some sense of belonging, I guess? I I think so. I think, you know, the other thing that have, like, something accomplishes by being a popular series is that it can be, like, a talking point and a point of connection between people who don't necessarily have that much to talk about, right. you know, as, like, someone who is, uh, did socially not that great in elementary school, I found... Mm-hmm that at least like I could talk to people about babysitters club. I could talk to people about sweet Valley high, you know, it was, I feel like it was like the elementary school equivalent of like, you know, now you watch like the bachelorette and you can talk to someone about that. If you have to make small talk in like an elevator Mm -hmm. or like, did you see what happened on game of Thrones? Yeah. Just like water cooler talk for elementary school kids. It was, yeah. What water cooler talk for, for young nerds. Yeah. I like that. So uh, I have to take it back to Sweet Valley High for a second. <laughs> uh, you talk, you talked a bit about Sweet Valley High uh, in the book. And I read sort of like when they tried to revive Sweet Valley High, I want to say like in the early 2000s. The, the adult version? I don't know. I, I have a hard time remembering. And like all of those books that I once had are just gone forever yeah. now. Yeah. I just remember they were really campy and 
I want to say maybe they were in college by that point. Oh, yeah, they did go to college. There yeah. was a sort of spinoff series where they yeah. went to college, and because they were in college, they were allowed to, like, finally have sex and stuff. Yes, and I was, like, way too young reading these books, like, oh, my gosh, I hope my parents don't find out what's <laughs> happening in these books. Um, but there aren't so there aren't many series like Sweet Valley High that are just so pro- prolific in their publishing. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned Gossip Girl is maybe one that's the closest to Sweet Valley High. How I mean, how do you think that even standalone books now or small like trilogies in young adult lit are sort of indebted to Sweet Valley High and other series like that? Like how are, how do we see these trends? sort of like transforming do you think um i mean i think the like gossip girl to me seemed uh indebted to sweet valley high like not because it was super campy and just like about absurd situations with no moral lesson right because there is um a bit of a cliffhanger element i thought sweet valley high did the cliffhanger thing like to a level that had never been uh, really done before in children's literature at that An point. Extreme where, level. Yeah, like extreme, extreme, extreme level. Like TV show that like ends in the middle of like a crime or something yes. level. Um, and I, do, you know, I do think that's something that is kind of obviously it's less of a thing in a trilogy, right. but just you know having something that compels you to put pick up the next book in the series. I think Sweet Valley High did in, inject that into into the the literature in a big way yeah for sure and like gossip girl does that pretty well yeah with all the camp i don't know i think i think a lot of young adults do that cliffhanger thing that you're talking about yeah um sometimes it's not as good as like the classic soap opera cliffhangers of sweet valley high but i like thinking about you know, Sweet Valley High, so many books, they're in high school for the whole time. <laughs> and Babysitter's Club, I feel like they're in eighth grade forever. Yeah. Like, they're in so many of these series, they have such a long publishing history, but these characters never age. Even, like, presuming that their readers are aging. I guess I always felt that the presumption would probably that people, that rather than that the readership would age with the books mm-hmm. that um, that sort of like different groups of say sixth oh, graders yeah. would keep passing through the audience and kind of like that's um, keep the same age, you know, that like Marianne and Claudia and Stacy never grow up. So they're still the same age for right. the next group of sixth graders and the next and the next. Yeah. And I, mean, I guess we see this in like comic books and stuff too, yeah. right? Like Spider-Man still is young and fresh. <laughs> you know, he's been <laughs> around forever. It just, I, um, I have a friend who also does children's lit and she said when she was a kid, she thought they were like stuck in some weird time loop (laughs) or something. I mean, it gets, if you read it long enough, it like does get weird. Like the amount of time covered adds up to more than a year and you're like, what is going on? It is actually, I never thought about it before. It's a lot like comic books where like certain facts have to get mm -hmm. like retconned to like make sense. Like, I think it was Claudia maybe that, repeated eighth grade twice like she was in eighth grade forever and then they sent her back to seventh grade or something like it's just kind of wild and you don't want to think about the timeline too much yeah i feel like those kind of inconsistencies were kind of counting on like 
the fact that so few people are going to read like all 100 yeah. books and like if you do and you're that into it you'll forgive us for not keeping up with the timeline yes and it's like too like if you think about how frequently they publish like they were probably having to crank these books out oh my god yes uh i'm forgetting the exact numbers but anna martin uh wrote the first 80 or so babysitter club books like 100 percent on her own and she would yeah. just write for like nine hours a day oh that just it sounds insane honestly <laughs> Did you uh, did you look into like ghostwriters or anything as you were writing this book? Like, did you find out anything about how fast these series got published? I mean, I'm thinking specifically of like way older stuff, like Nancy Drew, like syndicated novels. Did you I mean, find any of that in your research, or is that kind of like not a thing in the I 80s mean, and 90s? It was definitely a thing. And sw- again, not not everything is about Sweet Valley High, but Sweet Valley High was the most hardcore yeah. in its use of ghostwriters. Like Francine Pascal is just the creator. She never wrote a single novel of Sweet Valley Whoa. of any sort. And um, actually, all the books were written by different ghostwriters. And a lot yeah. of those ghostwriters have uh, written articles and things online right. about their experiences as ghostwriters. So I was in touch with some of those people they all ended up deciding they had said their piece already and did not want to comment further (laughs) but um but yeah there was a lot of i mean just with the kind of schedule these were on where there's a new book every month like it would be i think next to impossible to do on your own yeah it i think it would be you would wear yourself to the bone (laughs) trying to write these novels (sighs) <sighs> sleep over friends yourself to death no one yes. wants to do that no nobody does I just, I just like I mean again like I don't know the publishing side of things but sometimes I think about these series and just like how many people had to work on them just to keep up with a production schedule and it's bananas it, it is extremely extremely bananas Yeah. Uh, so I have one more question for mm. you after all this research you've done uh, into 80s and 90s series for young adults. Do you think that there's one that needs to get the Riverdale treatment? <laughs> Riverdale treatment is in being brought back, or Riverdale treatment is being like tur- turned into a into a dirty sex show. <laughs> yeah, like both. You know, come back like a little gritty, little. I mean, little dark. I would. I, um, I, I'm not going to say Sweet Valley High again. Um, I mean, you totally could. It, see, it seems mean, like I, a good choice. I do think that, like, the grit was always, like, just out of arm's reach there. Like, it was always just about to just go into something sordid. And I just, like, what if we rebooted it and just went yes. all the way? What if we were just, you know, made the subtext text and just, like, people are on drugs. <laughs> like just went full on crazy just go go all the way with all this stuff stop having them stop having it be like they kiss but then they stop because this is a book for children like Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's something that riverdale does really well and i like riverdale even though it's trash i love riverdale (laughs) because it's trash yes it's uh like me and one of the other people on the podcast kelly we do recaps of it every every week for our blog and we keep asking ourselves like do we really want to subject ourselves to this yes (laughs) so good Um, every every week on after riverdale my husband and i like to look at each other and go best show on television yes i keep trying to get my boyfriend to watch it with me and he's like i'm good (laughs) 
if he watched it once, he would be sold. You got to you got to <laughs> plan an activity with him where it's playing in the background, yes. like a quiet activity, so he'll hear it and then he'll be sold. Yeah, so it's like you know, hey, come over and I'll cook us dinner. Oops, what's this Riverdale sign? <laughs> What, is this attractive teenagers humping on each other? Yeah. Murders? Who put that on? Like, and it does all those classic things that I think Sweet Valley High kind of does, too. Like, there's a secret other brother who's <laughs> suddenly back in the picture and we didn't know about him. Or there's a killer on the loose. Like, it's kind of that campy teenage fun. Yeah, I think I think that that stuff does owe a real debt to the Sweet Valley High way of doing things. Even though, like, I would say from talking to people of my generation, your generation. I'm assuming it's the same generation. I'm not yeah. sure. Uh, but Roundabouts. I think, I think uh, people have more of an emotional connection to, to Babysitter's Club. People saw themselves in Babysitter's Club yeah. and Sweet Valley High is just, you know, fun trash. Yeah, but it's, it's the funnest trash. <laughs> um, they met a werewolf. <laughs> I know. Like, that's the thing is all the weird supernatural stuff. Just you know, lends itself so well to a makeover, I think. Someone listening to this, please hire me to be the showrunner yes. on your gritty Sweet Valley High reboot. I will do a good job. Yes. I would I would watch it. I would watch <laughs> it. I would read it. I would buy the tie-in slam book. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that support. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for... Uh, coming on our podcast and talking to us about these awesome young adult books. Thank you for having me. Um, sorry for spending so much time talking about Sweet Valley High. No, I cover like hundreds of other series in this book. Not sure why I can only talk about that one. Well, today. no, I feel like this is the teaser and people have to buy the book to find out about the other wild series talked about I in there. Sw- swear there's a lot of a lot of other series, a lot of interesting stuff. Some weird thing where teenagers have to have to work at a hospital in a town where there's always outbreaks yeah. and terrible disasters. That um, is strange. <laughs> it's a strange premise. So, some of the jobs, some of the jobs in these books are weird. Yeah. Okay, I will let you go and get ready for your next interview and the rest of your day. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Thank you. Okay, Bye. Bye. She loves Sweet Valley High. I need to talk to her, I feel like. I read the whole Sweet Valley Junior High series. Yeah. <laughs> Not high. Junior high. Whole series. <laughs> Recently, mm-hmm. like a couple years ago, my mom found them all like in our garage and was like, do you want these? And I was like, actually, keep them until next time I'm there just so I can look at them again. Because I just want to see them again. Susan, there's a giveaway? What? <gasps> giveaway, you say? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're doing a giveaway. I love And it's not just a book. But, you know, it's also (laughs) a book. So we are doing a a giveaway in collaboration with Cami Land Design. So Cami is an artist and interior decorator. And she makes these beautiful, amazing custom 
fluid paintings. They're like very colorful and glowy and they're awesome. And you can totally commission one if you want for your house. At least look at them on her Instagram. It's at Camiland Design. K-A-M-I-L-A-N-D Design. So she has done this cool thing where she's turned these paintings into leggings. Yeah. So the the actual like beautiful thing you see on the painting can be on your legs and they are so cool and they're really comfortable. I have a pair. Um, but you can wear them while while you lounge around and read or while you exercise at one of Emily's pure bar classes. <laughs> right. Or wherever you like to exercise or sit around. Uh, you can do both. But so we're gonna give away a pair of those leggings. Um, and then a copy of Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng, which we will be covering on the podcast on December 3rd. So you will have plenty of time to read that along with us before that episode drops. So the rules are super easy, and we will post them on social media several times as we as we go through this giveaway process. But what they are is when you see one of these social media posts um, featuring the leggings and the book, which look great together by the way, all you have to do is like the post, follow Book Squad Goals and Cami Land Design on Instagram, and then tag a friend who you think would like the leggings in the book and might also want to enter. It's so easy. Um, You can enter multiple times, like, because she'll be posting about this too, so you'll be able to see. You can do it both ways. You can do it both ways. That sounded bad. Cut that out. (laughs) I don't know what that means. But, so starting today, you can enter this giveaway. Uh, there will be our first post about it. It will go up today, and you can start liking and tagging and checking out all the different types of leggings. And then we will announce the winner on November 5th, which is the day our next full book episode comes out. So you've got time to get in on these leggings. And that Yay. Get in on it. Yay! We all advocate mm-hmm. for leggings as pants also. I certainly do. Yes. Yes. Oh, Yeah. They are There's pants. No what is the problem? What what more do you need in pants? Ooh, they have a pair called Emily leggings, so oh, you gotta get need those. What's that next? Well, what's on the let box? me tell you something, Mary. <laughs> Riverdale is back. Boy, is it ever! <laughs> and the premiere <laughs> oh, episode man. of this season was fucking insane. Wow. Okay, and I know we say that every every time, time. but seriously. You really do. It was do. fucking insane. So. I mean, stuff was happening that I didn't even think could happen within the world of the show. It was like breaking universes. I don't even know what's going on anymore. I mean, it's got everything. It's got high stakes trials. It's got murder flashbacks. It's got beach fire parties babies. or lake parties. Oh Cults. <laughs> If you want to know what I mean by fire babies, you're going to have to go back and watch the over 30 episodes of Riverdale. No, thank you. I cannot. I'm too busy (laughs) watching American Horror Story. I guess you'll you'll never know. You can only have one. Sounds like it has a lot of balls. Riverdale has the most balls in the air at all times. Riverdale is a a pit of balls. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the McDonald's ball ball pit pit. at all times on Riverdale. (laughs) Yeah. So Put it'll give there. you uh, some kind of disease, I assume. Yeah. That's what ball pits mm-hmm. do. Those things are fucking gross, you guys. Yeah, so Riverdale recaps are happening. Susan is entering, anyway. her, doing her next entry of Susan's oh, pod yeah. squad. The pod squad. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So this one's about a cult, you guys. So it's really exciting. Yeah. Um, Fits in perfect with Riverdale. Perfect. Good transition. Um, so <laughs> you might have seen news articles about this cult lately um, called Nexium. There are some celebrities in oh it. That chick from Smallville yes. got arrested for mm-hmm. some stuff. So it's, it's that cult. Um, but it's by... Uh, some Canadian media outlet I can't remember right now, but anyway, um, this woman who was pretty high up escapes, and um, so does her husband. That's she met him in there too, and she tells her whole story to this journalist, and it is fucking oh bonkers, y'all. <laughs> but she's also an actor. She's not as big time as Smallville chick, but I think it helps that she's an actor because she's. She's really articulate about this experience and really self-aware, but it is Yeah, I kind of want to add in this It right is now. fucking frightening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's only, like, six or seven episodes, too, so it's another, like, real nice. short binge that you can do. And you should be afraid of cults. That's the bottom line. I am going to write about, I think, <laughs> I'm going to write about the ABC show Speechless. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm which is a sitcom about a family that includes a child with cerebral palsy. And Speechless is now in its second season, I want to say. Um, but I've been watching it since it first came on, and I'm surprised like I've never written about it because it's a really up interesting portrayal of disability. Mm-hmm. Huh? I just said it's right up your alley. It's all all up my alley. All up there. Up in there. Uh, it's But it's a really funny, interesting portrayal of disability because it doesn't treat disability as a tragedy mm-hmm. the way a lot of things do. And my favorite part of it is the actor who plays um, JJ, the kid with uh, cerebral palsy, actually has cerebral palsy. And they've had writers for the show that are actually um, disabled. So it's inclusive in a way a lot of shows oh, aren't. That's cool. I've never heard of that show. Yeah, it's really funny, too. Also, Are You the Wine Recaps? Still happening. Still bonkers. Shit is getting real insane. And I am excited to share. I finally wrote a post that I've been talking about writing for a year, which is Mm -hmm. a post about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You did it. I did it. I finally did it. And I'm so proud. I could not decide what to write about, so I was just like, I'm just going to do something easy. And I wrote about um, lessons that Buffy can teach you even now, 20 years later from when the show originally aired. Uh, and uh, I it makes me feel old. <laughs> I highly encourage um, everyone to watch it if you haven't. It's a great show, but also check out my post. It doesn't really spoil anything if you haven't watched it, um, and it might encourage you to check it out. And yeah, yeah. this won't be the last time I read about Buffy, but it was the first. This is the beginning of a <laughs> Kelly series called Kelly's Buffy Squad. I don't know. I'll We're come working up with on the, the title. Yeah, we got it. As always, please, 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 follow us on social media, subscribe, and if you haven't rated us yet, why not do that? Is it because of my singing?
Is that why? Because I'm not going to stop. That's definitely not why. If it is, leave us some feedback. because of y'all's poor taste in celebrities. Maybe it's because of your poor taste in celebrities. Speaking of celebrities, just can we have a moment of silence for Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson? Because the news today is fresh. It's fresh, guys. I know you listening to this have had time to process this. Maybe they're already back together. We just heard about it. Maybe they're back together. If they are, let us know. If they are, then she's definitely already pregnant. Like, it's got to go. Everything has to move at that point. (laughs) Yeah. I just, like, honestly, after all of the crap that he has said in the media, I'm like, I'd break up with him, too. Wow. I feel like they broke up because she's going through a hard time. She's probably not about to be excited about her happy new relationship. Because a lot of shit is happening to her. Yes. Or around her. Well, the thing is, though, if you're married to a person or you're planning to get married to that person, you're both going to go through times like that. So... Maybe not after like it's one part month. Of the, it's part of the deal. <laughs> well, no, because most people don't get engaged. That's why you don't get engaged so. with someone after you've been exactly. Yeah, so I'm saying I mean, maybe you, you should go through some stuff like that. Ariana Grande, I understand wanting to nail that down. Lock it down. So. Lock it yeah. down. <laughs> but maybe, sh- maybe most people probably go through things like that before they. Yeah. 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 Well, that's what I'm. Th- <laughs> I'm thinking she probably had all this shit happen, and then she was like, maybe I need to like take a step back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that's about more. They could keep this is the Pete Davidson Ariana Grande episode. Now, yes, this has been. I don't even know uh, why I'm weighing in. I don't give a shit about them. Pete Davidson. <gasps> Ariana Grande how can you hour? not give a shit about Ariana Grande? We love. No, I like her. I just don't care about whether or not they get married. I didn't give a shit all. until I listened to her album and then imagined that all the songs were about him. And they are listen to it like well. One of them times. is literally <laughs> named after him. So, yeah. yeah, and that's a great song, BT Dubs. Yeah. Um. Well. So yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty torn up about it, guys. I'm sorry. So mm-hmm. you know, write in, tell us your thoughts about Ariana Grande, about you know, God is a woman, Pete Davidson, whatever. Love is death. The depth <laughs> of creases in Bradley Cooper's face. Email us. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Happy October. Oh, wait, wait, wait. One more thing. Happy oh, birthday, yeah. Emily. Happy birthday, oh, Emily. Thank you. Yeah. Happy birthday, Emily. Oh,